Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have someone that has a quite an incredible, you know, professional career and entrepreneurial journey. And I think that uh, you know we're gonna learn quite a bit. We're gonna learn quite a bit as well about the different cycles, you know, like going from the dot com, you know, to now COVID. I mean, you name it. So I guess without further ado, Lisa Alderson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. It is so fantastic to be here with you and your listeners today. So originally born in Minnesota, but grew up in Colorado. So how did this happen and how was life growing up there? Yeah, you know, I love Colorado. I am an outdoor adventurer and a bit of an adrenaline junkie. And Colorado is a great place to do that. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, mountains and great outdoors. Um, but yeah, I was born in Minnesota. My family's there. Definitely grew up with kind of the Midwest uh, niceties and, and just uh, authenticity. Uh, and that has stayed with me uh, to this day. So love, uh, love both of those states. Very cool. And they, in your family, was there like anyone that was like maybe like business driven or or how did you get this this influence for like business and building companies and, and things like that? Yeah, definitely. Actually, my father was definitely entrepreneurial. In fact, the reason we moved from Minnesota to Colorado, we had taken a family trip to Colorado and my parents fell in love with it. And they're like, let's move. So uh, he had this really, you know, adventure spirit and uh, built a number of businesses quite successfully. And so he was definitely an early mentor for me. And I think put me on a journey of interest such that you know, I was starting companies when I was 19. And so it has been very much a lifelong passion for me. And what got you then into journalism? Because that's what you studied in, in Colorado State University. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, so I grew up in, in you know, went to uh, high school in the 1980s. And as uh, somehow at that point in time, I just had this spark of interest in, uh, television and documentaries and telling the human story. And I became connected with the local cable station and just really was kind of enamored um, with broadcast journalism and the ability to share knowledge and information and insights. Um, you know, and that was an era where 
uh, journalism was told uh, kind of both sides of the story. Um, and, you know, in, in particular, I love the, the human story. Uh, so that was really my first chapter of, of my professional life. And, uh, you know, I was running the, the teleprompter and the, it was a camera operator on the evening news of our local cable station when I was 16. So I've always been a kind of a motivated and driven uh, person starting at that early, early life stage. And I always say my, you know, my career experiences have kind of followed my life passion. And so I think, you know, when I was 16, I loved, you know, TV and entertainment. And so that was, uh, that was passion one. And how do you think that has shaped perhaps the way that you have been able to do later on during your professional career and entrepreneurial journey, the, the storytelling side, because storytelling is everything when it comes to business. It, you know, really is. And in particular, I think one for recruiting and hiring, you know, great talent. It's all about the vision. It's about the mission. It's about building culture, but it's also about, you know, the human story. And, and in the case of Genome Medical, the impact we have on individuals' lives and families. And so there is this continued theme around uh, storytelling that's just so important. And, and I think that passion and just interest, the spark for humanity and understanding people's stories, you know, it's also a big motivator for me today. It's part of what drives me um, on my current journey is really that you know, that interest in helping people and frankly, improving uh, quality of life and, and health. And so we'll, we'll come back to that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I sort of followed my passions and started with television and media and entertainment and, and consumer, and then move more into hardcore technology and, uh, and then, and then kind of found my way into genetics and genomics. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all, I think my, my insights from all that is about kind of being an adaptable entrepreneur and, um, listening to those passions and pursuing those passions. Absolutely. And so after school, and we'll get into, into, you know, like where you're at now and, you know, this incredible business that you're building in, in just a bit. But before that, so that, you know, like we can continue to get to know you a little bit. So so what happened after school? Because you started, you got your big, your, your first break into doing your first business, uh, which was a television production uh, type of uh, entity. But then you ended up, you know, living in Honduras. So, I mean, unbelievable <laughs> the, 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 the shifts here happening. So So tell us a little bit about this. Yeah. So the backdrop is, you know, I grew up in Colorado, um, went to Colorado State University in Fort Collins. And in part because I had this passion for journalism, I'd actually been part of a uh, International Radio and Television Society fellowship in New York City and worked on CBS Evening News and, you know, saw some of the highs and lows of, of television production. It was a pretty cutthroat industry, candidly. Um, and, you know, there was sort of the sense of what I loved about having started campus television, which really went on to become you know, one of the top journalism programs in the country, in part because there was a student-run and student-produced television program, which um, I've been really, you know, a, a big part of that story in terms of getting it funded and uh, raising money and uh, ultimately had, oh, over 100 student volunteers by the time I graduated. So it really set that on its path. And I would say the thing that was most instrumental about that for me was this 
vision that, you know, you could conceive of an idea, you could execute on that vision, and then you could build something over a pretty short period of time, in this case, you know, three years, that then had such robustness that it continues on today. You know, and this was, let's just say more than two decades ago. And so as part of that, you know, it just really be kind of became this spark for me around, you know, building things that are meaningful, that are going to touch lives of others. Um, and that really is my first foray into entrepreneurship. Um, but with that as backdrop, I was kind of antsy because at this point, you know, I was in my young 20s, but I'd, I'd been in Colorado and Fort Collins, which is a lovely town, uh, but felt like I just wanted some exploration. And so I ended up um, really finding that, of course, uh, for the two years that I was in Honduras. And over that two year period, I had such an you know, wonderful opportunity. I did a bit further in the journalism side of things and uh, covered, you know, some breaking news uh, for for WTN out of London and uh, and and others. Um, and then I I also uh, worked a bit with the the U.S. Embassy and really really created um, I think a, a further passion in my interest and efforts in helping humanity. And, you know, in Honduras, it's really a very poor country. Um, and there were just such heart-wrenching, again, the human story, but where, you know, many children were impacted and, you know, and frankly dying of dysentery and such preventable, uh, you know, kind of health factors. And so I was really uh, loved my time there in getting to know just the you know, the tremendous richness of the, the Latino culture and, you know, improve my Spanish and uh, just really love the ability to discover, you know, kind of a new culture. Um, uh, but I did make my way back to the United States and uh, came back and, and went to business school. So, you know, it was a wonderful chapter and I think created a, just an empathy on my part of, you know, again, that the human element, the human story, and what we as 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 individuals can do to affect and improve, um, you know, life uh, for others, and and so it's always been a bit of a passion uh, for me. Got it. So then, after after business school, so you went to Harvard Business School, and I'm sure that it opened your eyes in many different areas that maybe you didn't even know were there. But uh, out of out of HBS, I mean, there's a lot of people that go out to start their own companies, but you went and you started, you know, like working for for a company like Walt Disney. So what motivated that? Yeah, you know, part of it was that when I was um, starting that television station, and then I also uh, kind of helped build a television production company uh, following that. But, you know, that was all off of kind of largely instinct. And so I felt as though I really loved the, the process of building businesses and saw that that was going to be more of my passion and my career, even more than, than you know, broadcast journalism. Uh, but I felt like I needed some more formal training. And so that was the impetus for Harvard Business School. And kind of also the reason that I then joined the Walt Disney Company, one, I still have very much this passion in, you know, journalism. And, and entertainment and media, and of course Disney is is the clear leader, uh, and uh, you know at least in in my mind and at that point 
point in time. And so that allowed me to um, uh, just really be able to uh, join an incredible group in a department called strategic planning that led long-term strategy uh, for ABC and ESPN and a number of the cable assets. And that just allowed us to, again, I think build that continued training in what it was the, 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 the epicenter, the leader of entertainment and media. Uh, and I just worked with incredibly bright and intelligent people uh, that, you know, it was a wonderful, wonderful time in my, um, in my career. So really enjoyed my journey there. And, you know, it's interesting how you, you know, during your career, you've jumped from uh, media to then, you know, tech to then, you know, gen genetics and genomics. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. But, but one thing that I definitely want to ask you about is how was the time of really living through the dot-com boom where you were able to raise 20 million bucks with just a business plan? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was a crazy period there. You know, it was, everybody I think saw it. It was this this time where, uh, you know, there there was a, a like a vibrancy and an eagerness and it was all about acquiring users. And, you know, companies were doing crazy things to build that user base because then you could kind of monetize the value of those users. And uh, as part of that, you know, I, I, I definitely witnessed uh, where capital was just so readily available, uh, but then also witnessed the other side of that, that as, uh, you know, as we came out of the dot-com boom, we hit with a real crash landing, the dot-com bust, uh, where just overnight, you know, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in market cap at many, many companies were just eroded. And so that was also a very tumultuous time uh, to just live through as, as kind of a leader and manager at a company and to try to navigate such a dynamic and challenging environment. So, so obviously, you know, this was a very nice segue into really getting into genetics and genomics. So, so how do you, because I understand that it was via investors of prior companies. So how do you really get into this new segment? Yeah. So it, um, I, as I was transitioning out after that dot-com, you know, bus period and, uh, uh, really looking, I kind of successfully helped to merge my, my company with, a, another company at that point in time. And was really kind of looking for my next chapter and, you know, first took some time off and decompressed, but through Kleiner Perkins, actually, uh, which had invested in prior company, uh, really came to be introduced to Dr. Randy Scott, uh, who at the time was a CEO and founder of Genomic Health. And Genomic Health was really one of the first precision medicine companies. And Kleiner had just invested in Genomic Health. And, you know, there was a wonderful team deeply committed to the science and medicine of building precision medicine for oncology, uh, but really at a very early stage in building the business and thinking through, you know, the first product and the first 
kind of go-to-market strategy. And so, you know, we just really hit it off and it became a great opportunity for me to learn a lot more about the medicine and the science of genomics, which I knew very little about. Uh, But this was in 2000 and we were sequencing the first human genome. So very few people knew much of anything about the field. Uh, And, you know, I've always been a lifelong learner. And so I really found that there was a lot from, uh, you know, just my business training and how you think about, you know, taking new products to market and building competitive advantage that translated really across, you know, multiple industries, of course. And so it was a strong partnership with myself and, you know, working closely with the senior leadership team that was deep in the medicine and science of genomics uh, to really, you know, help navigate some of those early days. And again, that was probably one of my most enriching career experiences because it was such a you know, novel uh, concept um, at that point in time. And so super excited to have been part of that, uh, that early startup stage. And talking about enriching experiences. So right before you started Genome Medical, which is your, your recent, uh, your most recent company, and probably one of the, the biggest one, I would say that, that you built yourself, which is remarkable. And we'll talk about it in just a little bit. You actually were part of Invite, which is a, you know, a company that you helped from the very early beginning, being one of the first employees to really uh, go in. And, and you were able to also be part of the remarkable journey of taking the company public. So how was that experience like? Oh, it's such an incredible, I mean, it was always kind of on my bucket list, right? But it's one of those where, you know, you just, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to have that actually um, uh, happen. And so genomic health had actually gone public, but I wasn't at the company at that point in time, even though I was part of that earlier startup stage of the business. And so at Invite, which, uh, you know, um, I joined again at a, a very early stage. It was just so rewarding. Kind of going back to that story I gave where, you know, my first entrepreneurial experience of building something, you know, in the case of Invite, you know, it was at the concept phase and, you know, a, a, a very small team, you know, a handful of people uh, at the point that I was joining um, and really was just an incredible path to be able to, Uh, At the time, I was the chief commercial officer and so really built out the commercial side of the organization, you know, help launch the first product into market and uh, commercialize uh, the approach, um, build revenue, take the company public. Um, You know, it's just an amazing journey to be able to see. And, you know, hats off to to Sean George, the now CEO, um, who was president at that point in time, um, you know, and and, uh, Randy, Dr. Randy. Scott, who um, was the CEO at the time of the IPO, uh, and you know, just an incredible management team and such a great, powerful, big vision. And the company is just executing so tremendously against that vision that it really is rewarding to be able to uh, kind of see that company, you know, a company through through uh, that exciting stage um, uh, and build products and services that are just so meaningful for patients. This is all about genetic testing and creating easier access to genetics um, for patients all over the world. So in terms of um, really seeing a company that does the full cycle, like Invite, I'm sure that you were able to get a lot of lessons from it and a lot of lessons that I'm sure that you're implemented, implementing now at Genome Medical. So 
So what's, what's that one lesson that you knew that absolutely for sure you were going to implement here on this, on this recent company? Yeah, I mean, really, Invite was instrumental in um, the path to founding Genome Medical. So at Invite, we were very focused on how we could open up access to genetic testing and, you know, uh, really built this vision for, you know, kind of a one-stop uh, journey for all things genetics. Um, and... Uh, uh, what I saw as the continued market need as we gained success and traction at Invite was that, you know, you have these incredible tests that are, that are you know, just built on depth of, of science and, 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 you know, medical management guidelines, uh, but it was still a huge impediment in getting those tests to patients. And the reason being is that there's a service delivery gap and being able to elevate the knowledge for clinicians in so many different clinical areas such that the clinicians could identify which patients need genetics and genomics and would most benefit and the clinicians need to know what tests to order you know and the clinicians need to be able to interpret the results and use that to change clinical care for the patients so genome medical is really founded with a vision of you know, how do we bring forward access to genetics and genomic-based medicine? How do we de kind of democratize that access? Uh, because there are so few specialists in the field. And so we are tackling many of those service delivery challenges uh, in working, you know, uh, to, to bring genetics and genomics to patients everywhere as part of just routine medical practice. Got it. And so then at what point, because at about 2016, you know, is really when you decide to, to make a, a shift, quite kind of, kind of a shift of gears here uh, and really start your recent company. So tell us about, you know, how you came up with, with this idea and how you brought it to life. Yeah. So, I mean, it really started with a vision of, you know, would this be more of um uh, its own company or something that at uh, Invite could become almost like a service line. And, you know, there's some complexities because in running and operating a lab, there's actually some regulatory barriers that prevent labs from practicing medicine. And part of that is, you know, self-referral uh, issues and, and, you know, some of that is uh, Stark laws. And anyway, there, there's complexity there. And so ultimately, um, you know, through some exploration with the, the senior leadership team and even the board, it felt like that would need to be its own company. Um, and it would actually be quite a complementary business because you need both, you know, molecular diagnostic testing and you need medical services. You need clinicians knowledgeable in genetics and genomics to, you know, overcome those challenges that I noted. And so ultimately, you know, with, uh, with you know, kind of great acceptance and excitement um, from Invite, uh, I launched this as its own business um, and in partnership with my two co-founders, Dr. Randy Scott and Dr. Robert Green. And uh, Randy, as I had noted previously, is just a visionary in the field of precision medicine. And he can see, you know, where the world's headed about a decade before uh, before everyone else. Um, and, you know, and then Robert Green is a leading medical geneticist at Harvard Medical School. And 
Brigham and Women's Hospital. And uh, he has just been a fundamental, uh, you know, kind of force and helping helping to guide us on our journey in building a business that is, you know, effectively shepherding in a new era of genomic-based medicine and doing that in a really, you know, medically responsible way. So then what ended up being the business model here? So we are a medical practice. We are set up as a nationwide telehealth medical practice that is democratizing access to a lot of specialists. And these are leaders in their field uh, coming out of prominent academic centers and leading health systems. Um, We employ a team of geneticists and genetic counselors and PharmDs and Uh, others that are specialists to be able to uh, create effectively next day on-demand appointments that are virtual via telehealth, either video consultations or phone-based consultations. And it allows us to be able to um, uh, provide ready access to clinical expertise. We then you know, provide an upfront consultation with the patient. Um, we order testing as appropriate and even do benefits investigations to make sure, you know, whether or not testing is covered by insurance. We then get the results, um, convey those results back to the patient and now develop a personalized care plan to really enable them to utilize those genetic insights for the benefit of their care. And that is shared with the patient, that's shared with any other treating physicians, and we make ourselves available as the genetics expert. Um, You know, it's kind of like you go into your primary care doctor, and if they listen to your heart and they feel like you need to see your cardiologist, you know, they're going to refer you to a cardiologist. And, you know, your primary care doctor is still your primary care doctor. Uh, They're just, uh, you know, you're adding a specialist to your team. And so we're like that. We are that specialist. We are the genetics and genomics specialist that interfaces with you know, other treating physicians to service um, the patient's needs and uh, provide the highest quality clinical care to individuals all over the country. Very cool. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, how Elon Musk has this edge with knowledge transfer where he's able to apply you know, different things that he's learned, let's say, via fintech companies that he started or now space companies or even uh, auto companies. And how he's able to combine all of that and and really apply that into his own execution with whatever he's dealing here. Yeah, there obviously, is such a richness to that. I would say, like it's it's amazing. You know, often we kind of silo very industry specific, and there is value in being a, a knowledge expert in a particular domain, no question. Um, You know, and to some extent, I've built that up over the last two decades in genomics. But I think the more you have this, uh, yeah, like patterns of recognition that can cut across industries, particularly when you're trying to drive innovation. And the common theme actually throughout my entire career has been very much about using technology to drive innovation. And in healthcare, 
you know, we need technology, we need service delivery innovation, we need new pricing models, we need, you know, a higher standard for patient care and, you know, customer engagement. And so all of these life lessons and kind of richness of my experiences, I do feel kind of dovetail into what is now the building of Genome Medical. And I think the richness of experiences across industries can really be quite an asset particularly in digital health, where you're trying to combine, you know, those principles of consumer-based businesses and technology-based businesses and healthcare uh, businesses. That's amazing. That's amazing because, I mean, obviously with the media, the tech, and now all, all implementing them all in here, I mean, definitely that gives you an edge. So for Genome Medical, how much capital have you guys raised to date? Yeah, we have raised sixty million uh, since our inception, and in, you know the twenty kind of middle of twenty sixteen. So about four years now. We just celebrated our our four year anniversary, and we recently announced a round of uh, funding, which brought in uh, an additional fourteen million, and that was that was just announced. Um, so we're super excited to welcome our new investors from that financing round as well as, um, you know, the, the continued uh, investment and support from some of our longer time investors. So, Lisa, this is pretty amazing, and I need to ask you about this. So, obviously, your recent investment and your recent investment that was done, you know, in the middle of COVID. So, right. how, did you ma- how did you manage to raise this money? You know, um, so first of all, I think, you know, Genome Medical sits at the intersection of telehealth and genomics. And those are two fundamental trends in healthcare that are going to vastly improve, I think, you know, the ease of access to care and the quality of care. And so, you know, part of it is we are in the crosshairs of two very exciting, you know, broad macro uh, market trends. And in particular with COVID, you know, we, we really worked hard to support a number of our health system partners in moving more care to virtual care, genetic and genomic-based medicine to virtual care. And, you know, so there was a, there was a huge push and just an incredible effort, um, you know, across the industry. Uh, as an example, we work with Kaiser Permanente and they've, you know, announced that they went from about 15% telehealth visits to, you know, over 80% telehealth visits. And that was in a matter of, you know, a month, right? I mean, that's an incredible feat for any health system. And so we, you know, we did our our little portion of, of support um, in, in really trying to move more to telehealth. You know, and I think COVID did um, vastly accelerate adoption for telehealth just out of necessity. Um, And now we are actually focused on how we can continue to provide access to patients virtually because, you know, there's still a high degree of uh, reticence to come into the health systems um, and in particular for routine medical care. We are seeing uh, cancer screenings, so mammograms and colonoscopies have been impacted. They're down by 90%. And what's concerning about that is that the rate of diagnosis for those cancers, uh, colon cancer as an example, you know, is reported down 80% in terms of diagnosis. And we know cancer did not stop for COVID. We're simply not finding the patients 
because they're not coming in for routine care. And so Genome Medical is now very focused on building a technology platform that can enable us all virtually to provide education, um, assessment of the patient, and care navigation and identify those high-risk cancer patients, identify high-risk cardiovascular patients, get them tested all virtually, never needing to go into uh, a medical provider's office. And then depending upon the results, if it's now an individual who is at an elevated risk, understanding the critical importance for now having the mammogram, the colonoscopy, the MRI, and really flagging those individuals and bringing them in for that medical care and those screenings, because we all know if we detect cancer at an early age, you know, it's at its most treatable stage. Um, and unfortunately, if we if, if we do not, uh, then it is, you know, both a more challenging treatment regimen and also, uh, you know, riskier in terms of patient outcomes. So so in this case, I mean, obviously, you you guys have come a long way with the business. And I guess for for the people that are listening to get an idea of how big you know, medical is, I mean, what can you share in terms of maybe number of employees or anything that, that you could share to give us an idea? Yeah, so we are, um, we have just over 60 clinicians. Uh, those are MDs and genetic counselors, most of whom are full-time. Uh, we just hired our first pharmacist, PharmD, full-time. Uh, we also have uh, a whole network of providers that are contracted and part-time with us. Um, we have seen patients in all 50 states. Uh, we see hundreds of patients on a weekly basis and, you know, tens of thousands uh, kind of annually is the pace with which we are now uh, at. Um, and really our, our whole vision is, you know, how do we improve the adoption of genetics and genomics? How do we support the clinician and how do we open up access to the patient? There are so few specialists that many patients that meet medical management guidelines for genetic testing are not getting that testing. They're not getting uh, access to genetic counseling. Uh, and therefore, you know, that is really what we are trying to tackle and, and, um, and, and improve. Got it. So where, where do you think that the, that the space is heading as a whole? You know, I really see um, first in certain areas. So for reproductive health, we're just launching a new product there. Uh, but virtually every woman of reproductive age qualifies for carrier screening under their insurance plans. And the vast majority of patients don't get that. And if they do, they're getting it when they're pregnant. Uh, which means that, you know, the decisions are far, far more limited. And so really, you know, I would love to see a future where just about, you know, everybody and kind of, you know, 21 is getting carrier testing and carrier screening. I'd love to see a world where every patient at diagnosis for cancer and cardiovascular disease is getting genetic testing. It helps inform treatment decisions. It helps inform clinical care. It is, you know, it's like having access to a new 
technology to new insights that we haven't had that are just so profound that as the cost of testing comes down, the use cases, the clinical utility goes up. And so we are marching towards a world where everybody will have some form of sequencing at some point in their life, you know, to better inform their clinical care. Uh, And that's an exciting world to me. That is a world that is a more you know, informed decision tree. It allows us to start to stratify patient populations and, you know, provide the clinical care as more appropriate to those individuals. And obviously here, after all those years, um, different segments, different companies now really making a big difference with this business. I'm sure that you've had your your fair amount of lessons learned. And, you know, one of the questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is if you had the opportunity, Lisa, to go back in time and have a chat with your younger self, maybe that younger Lisa that was thinking about launching a business uh, back then, what would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to your younger self before launching a business and why knowing what you know now? Yeah, you know, I would say resiliency and adaptability. Uh, Those are the key. Um, Resiliency, because you are going to hit highs, you are going to hit lows. It's uh, being resilient and knowing that uh, even when you hit one of those lows, if you, you know, if, if you, if you have, it's also a little bit of an optimism, I guess I'd say, you know, you, you can kind of power through and get yourself to that next, uh, that next high. And, you know, and, and then the adaptability piece, you know, we work in a world that has a really dynamic environment. And certainly we've seen this, you know, currently with COVID and the need to just kind of re-navigate, uh, and and uh, reposition to support patients and what they need at this moment in time. And, you know, I think there's um, uh, the successful entrepreneur can have, you know, both both a pinch of optimism more than a pinch is even better. Uh, and, you know, and that adaptability and that resiliency. And I think that's that's kind of the formula for at least the building blocks for some success. Uh, and, you know, having been a long time entrepreneur and, you know, founded or started, uh, I think we're seven companies at this point, uh, you know, there is kind of a muscle memory and there's stuff that, you know, you just get much more comfortable with the ambiguity and the uncertainty and the decision making without perfect information. And, you know, I guess the last piece of advice I'd offer there is that, um, you know, it's always easier to kind of, you know, tack to steer the ship a little as opposed to, you know, if you're just kind of frozen and unable to make a decision and figure out which way you're going, you know, you're starting uh, from a point of inertia, which is a lot harder to build, you know, momentum and force. And so I think it's, you know, it's 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 better to um, uh, make some bold bets and make some strong decisions and, you know, get on your journey. And then if you need to kind of redirect a little as you go, like that's a lot easier to do uh, because you've got momentum behind you. Very cool. So for the folks that are listening, Lisa, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Lisa A. Very simple. Um, You can find me on LinkedIn, Lisa Alderson uh, and Gino Med. Uh, Gino Med on Twitter and Gino Medical on LinkedIn. So uh, happy to have you all reach out and um, uh, I'm very, very accessible. So thank you for the time today.
Amazing, Lisa. Well, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the DealMakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.